Hello, and welcome to another episode of the DEP In-Basin Observations Podcast, where we explore the latest trends and developments in the oil and gas industry. Today, we are at our offices with friend of DEP, Chris Combs. Chris came to visit us at our office where we had the 2022 World Series trophy on display. Chris is currently the president of Grizzly Manufacturing, but he's had stops at several different oil field services companies, such as Evolution Well Services, Praetorian Energy Solutions, Voltagrid, and Nextier over his 23-year career. We are thankful that Chris came over to visit us and record this podcast. Grizzly actually recently showcased its EnviroFrac unit, both at their facility and at the recent SPE frac conference in the Woodlands. We spent most of our conversation talking electric frac and its evolution through the years. Thanks for listening. Join us for our next episode, and be sure to look out for more episodes along with our Thrive Energy Conference at the end of February. Please reach out if you want to learn more about DEP. Welcome to another episode of the In Basin Observations podcast. With us here today is John Daniel and Bill Austin from Daniel Energy Partners and Chris Combs, the president of Grizzly Manufacturing. Um, we're actually doing this from our office, so this is one of our first ones here. We usually go out and see, but Chris wanted to come by today and he got to see the uh, the World Series trophy, which which stopped by the office today, which is pretty cool. Um, and with that, we'll we'll just get it started. By the way, I think I took no less than 10 selfies with the uh, the trophy that'll be plastered all over social media at some point uh, before the day is over. Thank you guys for having me, though. It's John's, fantastic. John's already done one, so yeah, we'll yeah, do yeah. a couple more. Oh, that's great. That's great. I have, I have no shame. I had to, you know, I don't. I try not to post too much, but it's not every day you get the World Series trophy yeah. in your office. Okay, so uh, we just cut to the chase here, Chris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us, uh, for listeners, you've been in the business a long time. Quick recap, where you've been. And where you are, and to, and then go and, and tell us wh- what you're doing today with in, a little bit more about Grizzly. Yeah, so just yeah, start of off there. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, tw- 23 years in the industry, it's been almost entirely pressure pumping focused. Uh, first half of my career was really spent with, you know, publicly backed or publicly traded companies. You know, Schlumberger and the Weatherfords of the world. Um, got involved in a, in a startup called AST out in Midland, and that would have been like circa '09. Um, had an opportunity to come help start up a company called Greenfield Energy Services, and uh, that was how we got to Houston. We've been in the same same place since that day, and uh, uh, got an opportunity to help be part of the startup management team with Evolution Well Services, which was really kind of one of the, the first movers about on electric fracturing that utilized on-site power generation, utilizing um, you know the air derivative turbines such as the the GE TM twenty five hundred. And from there, ended up uh, helping found another company called VoltaGrid, which utilizes 100% natural gas reciprocating engines for on-site power that supports uh, not just electric fleets, but also some industrial applications as well. And uh, ushered in the electric frac program for next year. Mm -hmm. And uh, most recently, there was just kind of the moons were all in the perfect alignment to uh, take over Grizzly and, and help drive their business for what they're bringing as far as their service and refurb business and, and along with their technology platform, which will be manufacturing 100% electric frac fleets. Okay. Uh, if memory serves correct, you've got three facilities today at Grizzly. If, that, I, if I were to walk through the front door of each one of those, what am I going to see? So uh, Houston proper, which is kind of at the intersection of 45 and Beltway 8, there's about 70,000 square feet. You'll see 
a variety of familiar logos on, on frac equipment out there that are undergoing, whether it's, uh, you know, conversion from tier two to tier four DGB mm -hmm. or, you know, engine swings or, uh, you know, any various phases of repair and maintenance. And if you keep walking further in the back, you'll see our, our prototype serial number, uh, I call it 0001. Uh, of the Envirofrac unit, which is we're partnered with Seward on the design and manufacture of that. And that's 100%, uh, 3,000 horsepower, 100% electric frac pump. And to complement that, we're also building a uh, 240 barrel per minute, 100% electric blender and, and switch gear to be kind of that full solution. And it's probably, uh, you know, on the other side of the switch gear, we also have a sister company that takes care of the power gen side of things. Okay. I'll come back to the, the new design in a minute, but, uh, the facility Waller yep. and, so what, and what are you doing out in West Texas? So, so Odessa, so we've got the, uh, uh, the facility in Waller, which is where after Envirofrac moves into full production, that's where that's going to be located at. And, uh, the Odessa, it's, it's a lot of hot work that really goes in and out of there. Think mm -hmm. about two or three day projects. So you can pretty much take equipment out of the field, bring it to our shop. We'll put it right back out as quick as we can. So Power sh shave, wins, shaving a haircut wins. versus a complete rebuild in Houston. Yeah. Right. More or less. Right. Okay. Uh, we are when we were did our last podcast actually was with one of your good friends and competitors jamie stewart mm -hmm. uh, and at that time he you know shared just how robust the demand is for rebuilds etc you're a relatively new company walk us through the growth that you've seen whether you want to speak to units manufactured rebuilt revenue any color in terms of growth rates, where you were in 22 and where you might be in 23 and just talk the state of demand. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I you know, and, and Jamie's right on and, and he's great. Um, and when it comes to that level of demand, you know, you really think about how frack intensity has increased, right? right? We're not really adding frack horsepower. It doesn't seem to be a lot of its replacement. Um, but we're also trying to keep these frack fleets going on as long as you can. You know, if you go back in time, say five years, you know, pumping 300 pumping hours per month was pretty common. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I think in this era of, you know, Sambo frack and really kind of focusing in on frack efficiencies, it's, it's not uncommon to see 500 pumping hours per month. Right. So what that means is there, the, sh the, the equipment cycles are shortening, right? So with the demand that we've got and the, the financial discipline that the pressure pumpers are, are trying to show to avoid adding capacity to the market, that's really caused, I think, a pretty large explosion of opportunity in the service and refurb business. So okay. I would tell you if, you, if you walk through our shop, you'll see a variety of logos that you mm -hmm. recognize. And, and, you know, I would say there's a, uh, there's a backlog of people mm -hmm. that would love to be able to take some of this equipment that's sitting on their fences and uh, bring it into the shop and get it back out so they can bring some of the other equipment that's now near, you know, that's really needing some, some TLC and bringing that back in to, uh, to get repaired or refurbed. Got it. So, but if I had the the benefit of looking at your financial statements today, you know, maybe don't give me the number, Yeah. but revenue last year, 22 and what you would be budgeting based off outlook today, what type of change? Th three to four X. Three to four X. Okay. So that means there's probably some pricing in there. So therefore you're probably doing roughly three X, the number of rebuilds and 23 versus 22. That's Again, ballpark. That's what we're forecasting. That's okay. Right. That's right. And um, I would assume most of the rebuilds are coming from existing frac companies as opposed to companies that have just bought used equipment and are seeking to refurb it to come into business. S smaller percentage of the latter. Yeah. But yeah, definitely the guys that are existing out there right now that have contracts that they've got a service. Right. Um, and, you know, obviously they're penalized if they're not available for X amount of hours or X percentage of time on a, you know, monthly, daily, yearly basis. Right. Right. 
Bill, jump in if you got anything. I'm, Otherwise, I, you're, you're on a roll. I, I, I get on this going. roll. I keep going. <laughs> Don't I, stop I, so, him. Yeah. Okay, so you just you just launched the new frack design. Uh, it was uh, on display, if I'm not mistaken, up at the SP event this mm-hmm. week, which had pretty good attendance. Sadly, yes. I was not there. Bill went. Yeah. And, yeah, no. So I and I got to go by the the <clears throat> North Houston facility and saw the Envirofrac. Like, right. we had a bunch of other customers or potential customers there taking a look at it. Um, it was it was interesting to see what you guys had out there, and and again just seeing a couple of very familiar names in the shop on that side of the business, and sure. as you're working on the Envirofrac as well. Right, right. So, so what I want to dig into is, again, I'd love for you to tell me who, but describe for us what type of customers were at your booth looking at it and have, and have been inquiring, and what does that tell you? Yeah, so uh, we've seen a variety from, I'd say it went all the way from, you know, publicly traded uh, frat companies down to, you know, the midsize and, and the privately held as well. Right. So we've seen a, a pretty good, <clears throat> a pretty broad, you know, interest level from a variety of different size frat companies. And, you know, I think the question now is obviously delivery is is becoming a challenge with, with all the frack equipment, but I'd, I'd say electric maybe a little bit more so because it's dependent on, you know, a lot of components and primarily all the components are going to be coming from across the pond. Right. Um, so that's always a consideration. So, you know, a few of the advantages that, not to be overly commercial, but I mean, yeah. a few of the advantages is we've definitely got a shortened delivery time on on our solution. Um, and, and I tell you what, even from a kind of a showcase opportunity i mean we had guys from you know the finance world that were involved in this and which tells us really that people are at least having discussions about hey how can we go get our hands on this equipment or how do we finance it or or whatever the case might be is this a debt deal is an equity deal whatever the case might be so um which if you kind of further out the chain tells us that the operators would definitely have a higher appetite for it and and from a previous life i know that that's absolutely the case okay And, and to that latter point uh, operators, I assume, did have any any operators come to see the new design? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, on Friday and Monday, we, we had a pretty good tranche of them that I uh, I probably can't name, but uh, no, no. I, I yeah. mean, we'll try to pry that after. No, <laughs> but but the but they're coming. Are they coming for, to see to understand the technology? Or are they coming because they want to better understand availability? What is your sense in terms of the, you know? Normally, you would think it would just be the frat companies coming to look at it. What's it tell you if they're coming to look at it? It's telling me that they're starting to become more and more involved in what the right solution is, well, what's going to be best for them. Because at the end of the day, with the adoption rate that electric frat fleets are really having in the U.S. market, um, they're more and more involved. Right. And they want to make sure that they understand it. They want to have some semblance of a blessing, if you will, okay. on on which company is going to go into business with which manufacturer for what solution, right? They want to be able to kind of have some level of input to say, hey, we can support this. Okay, now, forgive me for being rude, but uh, a lot of people in your seat will say, we've got great IP. Mm -hmm. Guys in my seat say, BS, I see everybody and their brother coming up with a new electric design. Tell me where I'm wrong or and what you're doing differently and just speak to broadly speak you know the, the ip that go that's out there on electric frack because you have the luxury of having been at two frack companies prior to this very recently right mm-hmm. so you've kind of seen stuff so yeah you know, without violating any of your you know whatever you've had to sign over your career sure, for NDAs, sure. etc just help us understand 
the protections afforded to companies on IP. Yeah, I think from from a very broad strokes perspective, um, there's IP that's being challenged that we're all aware of right now. Right. So um, if some of that IP that's kind of at the front of the news pages right now, as far as that's concerned, if, if that gets overturned, I think it really opens the floodgates for more entrance into the electric frag market. Right. And I think the overall concern is less than it was five years ago or, or two years ago or whatever the case might be. Um, to a point now, I think it's just kind of a formality that a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines waiting to see what court decisions render. Okay. You have your own design. Mm -hmm. What about your design is different from, say, the other designs that are out there? And there's, will it work? Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, there's a handful of things that really do separate it out. And it wasn't an attempt to bypass anything right. of that nature. It was just a good solution that was invented by a non, it was actually the original design was brought to us by a non-frac company. And instead of having a variable frequency drive as part of the solutions for these you know these high-end electrical components they utilize a twin disc transmission okay now we've been able to successfully test that on the stand for upwards of i'd say probably 200 220 hours mm -hmm. and it has worked flawlessly and uh, we should be moving that to uh, field testing here in the very very near future okay maybe after thrive wink wink mm -hmm. yeah we're hoping it will be on display yeah, yeah. and and uh but apart from that even uh, i would even say there's there's an, another capability that we can do it even more commercially competitive because think about it we've got all these frag pumps and all these trailers that are sitting against the fence right now. Right. So basically we can take any of those tier twos and do the conversion based on that. So that's one less trailer that you're going to have to wait six months for. That's that much less of a capital consideration that's not going to be factored into your overall bill cost too. Interesting. Mm. Right. So million dollar question is you will deploy the first unit, serial number 0001, if I remember what you just said Very earlier. Very good. Very good. Um, to the field. And it'll go to presumably, obviously, frat company. How much time do you need to see it working in the field before you say it's good? And how much time do they need to see it in the field before they say we're ready to sign a check to order twelve of these suckers or whatever it yeah, might be? Yeah, I think it's a culmination of the data, um, and and so let me kind of describe it, if you will. Um, I'd like to send it over for a pad or two right. in the Eagleford, right? That's going to give you one kind of treatment parameters that you're going to be able to say, hey, that's the checkbox. Is everybody thinks it's great when you can check the box in the lab, mm -hmm. but they always want to see it in the field too, and that makes sense. Okay. Like I would want to see it in the field as well. Um, at that point, that's also going to give a lot of people sitting in Houston the capacity to run, make a day trip, right? It's not a flight in a hotel. They can go actually go see it, and everybody wants to kick the tires. They want to <laughs> see what the data looks like. They want to see how the equipment responded and performs. Um, at that point, move it for another pad or two to the Permian. Okay. Right. Somewhere where in the Permian is always unique because there's, I think from a uh, uh, concentration basis, there's many more decision makers that sit in Midland versus Houston for a lot of the Permian operations. So now they've got the capacity to come down and see the, the technology mm -hmm. for, and, and be back in the office, you know, shortly after lunch if they want to. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, that's going to give, that's, that's kind of the roadshow that's, that's in, in plan. Uh, to let, me, be let me ask you, uh, uh, I'm interrupt, sorry to interrupt. No, you're Actually, good. I'm not sorry, but you have, <laughs> let's say the, the, the person testing the unit is Bill Austin Frack Services, mm -hmm. right? But obviously you want to sell to Sean Mitchell Frack Services and Bobby Stanton Frack Services too. Right. Can those frack companies come to the location of another frack company to look oh, at yeah. this thing? 
that that's part of the prerequisite to, to put it out there okay um, is that we would have to have some semblance of show rights right um, that's the commercial advantage for us I mean obviously we love the data we want to be able to collect it and go back and say hey is there something we need to do better before we do the full deployment right um, but yeah but that's part of the thing okay right? so so let's say after pad number two you know Bill looks and says this thing is great I want a fleet he gives you the PO when is he gonna get it eight months eight months eight months okay right and then what happens if Bill wants three? So, so as of the space we have today, mm-hmm. we could produce about five or so fleets in parallel. Okay, so five in fleets. In an eight-month timeline. In an eight-month timeline. Okay. So he could order five fleets and in eight months have five fleets. That's correct. That seems pretty bold. It is bold, yeah. and a lot of it has to do with the fact that there's no variable frequency drive. Like motors, okay. we've got a super okay. good handle on through various partnerships, through you know our companies and and our and our partners' company. Okay. Um, the transmissions are sitting right there. The twin discs are waiting for us. They they've had a, I would say uh, about five dozen that have been allocated strictly to us. Oh, that's there's that five right. that you're talking about right yeah, there, yeah, right? Yeah. That's how we came yep. to sixty. Okay. Um, and that's gonna, uh, that's really what's driving a lot of these longer lead times is right. the motors and VFDs. Yeah, because I was gonna start on that. Yeah, I, I don't want to hijack on the on the supply chain side, but like, where are you guys seeing on the? This, I mean, look, everyone talks about supply chain issues in your world all sure. the time. Where it's are real. you? That and, and eight months sounds really, you know, strong that, right. that you guys can deliver on that. But where, so where are you guys seeing both? Let's that we can even go the the supply chain alleviating, but also where where you see in the, the problems in the supply chain still. Right. Yeah. So I mean, so for us, I mean, those are the two biggest I think deciding factors is going to be like motors and VFDs. Okay. Right. Power ends you can get your hands on them in a very reasonable amount of time. Um, axles are improving. Trailers are improving. Uh, fluid ends. I mean, they're they're uh, they're such a such a short-lived item yep. uh, that, I mean, you can always find inventory of, of fluid ends, right, from a variety of, of, you know, strategic providers. But, yeah, it's it's the electrical components that really kind of have a little bit of a, of a crapshoot attached to them. Yep. Yeah. And that's com- because they're coming from all over the place, right? That's it's right. not just that's the right. U.S. or wherever, yep. right? Yep, that's right. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, power. Mm-hmm. It's very topical these days. Yes, yeah, very are you agnostic to power? What do you, what's going to power your unit? Right, right. Obviously, in a perfect world, we, we would love to have a power source through our uh, sister company, Patriot Power Group. But uh, we know that we have to remain flexible because we have customers that may have a preference for it, something we don't have currently in inventory. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that's regionally dictated, sometimes not. Um, but at the same time, uh, that's that's something we have to be. At the end of the day, electrons are electrons is something I always say. So yep. whether it's power that's generated on site via, you know, turbine, uh, whether it's a 100% natural gas reciprocating engine, um, or whether it's uh, grid power to be able to come in from uh, the public utility, we, we really could care less. And we designed the switch gear to take as much grid power as you can throw at us. Um, so if you've got, because various operators are going to have, you know, if you go to the Permian, for example, it's very common to say, hey, how much grid power do you have? Well, we've right. got five, eight megawatts, whatever the case might be. Um, you go to the Northeast, they're going to say we've got zero. Yeah. Right? So that's why I say it's kind of regionally dependent. So, all right. So in the one you guys are testing in the Eagle for what, what power source are you going to use? Is it going to be the use for that one? It's, it's it, Right now, it's going to be either a, it's actually going to be either a diesel 
okay. a gen set because they're easy to get right uh, easier yeah, to yeah. Get, let's just say and and that's something we can use in short order and then you know push back if we need to instead of kind of taking some of the generating revenue from our sister company and deploying that out there with it and you know interrupting a contract right right and I'm going to have you speak on behalf of your sister company, PPG, yeah. mm -hmm. for a minute. Yep. Um, last time we've talked to, you know, I haven't done podcasts necessarily with all of the power people yet, but... Uh, we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. But, It'll be a good you know, one. Yeah. But, but for example, I was just over at the, the Baker Hughes annual meeting, which was phenomenal because great attendance, and it was in Florence, Italy. Yeah, that's right. Not, so, that sounds like a horrible job. Rough gig. It was, yeah. it was a rough gig. But, you know, happened to run into someone that's a competitor to PPG. And I said, hey, how's business? And it sounds really, really good. So what what can you say about their order flow to the extent you can? And and how much of it is tied to frack versus uh, industrial and other uses? Mm -hmm. so it sounds like things are gangbusters right now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, absolutely. I, I, I think our... Uh, the, uh, our our sister company's biggest challenge is going to be how quickly can we get more assets? Because right now the the entire portfolio is is turbine based. Mm -hmm. um, however, we, we we are going to have reciprocating engines coming at some point once we can actually kind of get the deal solidified, right? And then right. there's there's still a lead time that's attached to that too, right? right. So it's we're we're not going to be immune. I say we they're not going to be immune to um, any of the struggles of getting assets. Uh, but still, at the same time, we know we have to have that ultimate amount of flexibility for being able to provide the right solution. Okay. Yep. Got it. You, I'm just thinking here, uh, excuse me, you have to edit this, but I've got, yeah. I'm trying, trying to think of this question here. I want to go back to how you came to Grizzly because you've, you've, you helped start Volta Grid. You played a pretty key role at Next here. You helped grow Evolution. Those are all good opportunities. Yeah. What made you make the jump to Grizzly? So, so Grizzly was just in a very, very unique spot where um, there's all this runway that Grizzly had, right. right? And they were had a great management team, and you know I've known the the partners there for quite some time, and and we've been kind of looking for opportunities to collaborate, and I just started having more and more discussions with the partners over there, and, and began to see just a lot of a lot of op more opportunity that that I could help them capture mm -hmm. and help kind of grow this business and scale it, you know, w from the things that I've learned in the past to, to do in the past. And I think more importantly, the things I've learned to not do, right. right. But I've still got the, uh, the scar tissue to, uh, uh, to help guide some of those decisions. So it was really kind of a perfect, perfect alignment because throughout all these years, as we've been building these frag fleets, it's given me a very unique insight into manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that has been kind of an easy fit for me to slide into, understanding some of the nuances of manufacturing and not just providing a frack service. Um, so it, it was just it was a good atmosphere, and they've they've got the backing behind them to um, you know push that to the next level, and we've got the market conditions right to push it to the next right. level. So I think it was just it was a perfect opportunity to to hopefully be a, a good catalyst. Do you see Grizzly becoming a platform to go buy, you know? the coil tubing builder or the workover rig builder or the wireline builder. How much time, if any, do you spend on discussion of acquisitions? Uh, more than I have probably in my entire career right now. Right. right? So I would tell you that's, that's a, uh, I think if the right company, but the right. right, 
uh, I guess books were to enter the inner and uh, yeah. we to have those discussions. I think that's something that's on the table. But when you, you, you talk about it internally, is this because you're throwing pasta against the whiteboard or this because, you know, smart young investment banker brings you an idea. And so now you're forced to talk about it. I think we look for synergies within the existing businesses that we have. I think that's going to be the biggest driver behind it. And obviously, you know, the, the financial performance is going to really sure, be yeah, a motivator, yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's got to be there. Yeah. Um, but I think primarily we want to be able to find something that's going to be synergistic with what we currently have. Okay. But I guess where I'm going is you're not not out there pounding the pavement trying to set up meetings to talk to company A, B, and C about buying them. It's more of what do we want to be when we grow up discussion. Does that make sense? You're yeah, just yeah. – you're. In terms of timing. Yeah. 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 Uh, so those discussions are happening, actually. Yeah. Okay. Right. To, to look for opportunities. Again, like part of the reason I was brought in was to um, help optimize the business and right. help grow the business. And whether that's through just kind of expansion, grizzly proper expansion, right. or whether that's bolting on other opportunities that are going to increase the overall enterprise value of grizzly. Fair enough. So it's kind of really just looking for the right opportunities, no matter what the flavor is. Right. Fair enough. Yep. Look into your crystal ball and put yourself back in the mindset of your days at a service company. Oil is 75-ish. Bill, you can tell yeah. me where it is today. I think it's around 75. Mm -hmm. Gas is you know, borderline awful right now relative to where it was. Yep. What's your prediction the next three, six, 12 months? <sighs> That's a deep one. Well, you're the president, <laughs> so. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, if, if I, if, if, 73. 73, okay, yeah. well. If I had a crystal ball, um, I would say just kind of factoring in what I can read on the tea leaves yeah. between, you know, uh, what demand looks like for, you know, oil and gas um, and factoring in the, the fact that OFS guys are really making everybody proud by maintaining financial discipline yes. and not just, you know, going out and finding checks uh, to add capacity to there. I, I see the ability to bust for able. Honestly, I think we'll maintain. You think activity's flat? From here, I, I, I see it being, I see it being flat. Flat from here. Okay. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on yeah, it. Yeah. Well, because I, mean, I was about to ask a very similar question because I was talking yeah, to someone you go the other first, day. Yeah. It was, what do you think the theme? Look, you're you're new in this role. Like, what do you think the theme of 2023 in our world is? Is is it staying flat, maintaining? You know, it's. It, I know it's a kind of a catch-all question, but it's like where where we've come from since the depths of 20 to where we are now is very, very different, right? And so how do we look at 2020, how do you look at 2023, both as you're growing your business and trying to make sure that you guys are in the right spots, you know, for the current, the way the current world works? Right, right. No, I, I again, I'll, I'll kind of, you know, back up my statement that I think it stays flat. I know that's what the, the pressure pumpers want to do because that's going to give them obviously much more control on their pricing. Right. Um, uh, you know, at some point, does one person write a check and then we kind of go down south again of creating this this balloon that we bust? I think everybody's really stayed away from that. Mm -hmm. They have thus far, but yeah. it goes back to, you know, you know why, why I asked the question earlier on your tour, who was there? Right. Because private equity was MIA pretty much the last two years, particularly with OFS. Yep. And you really haven't seen any E&P companies to date sponsor, to date being like the last couple of years, recent mm -hmm. years. You know, startup A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. Whereas you go back ten years ago, eleven years ago, twelve years ago, two thousand ten, eleven, and the twelve, we saw that happen. And so, on the one hand, you say, "Well, 
are we going to see a repeat of that? As because the market has consolidated and mm -hmm. it's a cyclical business, and returns get, you know, attractive and money comes back. Sure. And so I'm just curious if you think that will happen this year. Um, and then if we're in a flat market, and if that happens, then all of a sudden you've got more people in RFPs, more competition, and how do people react? And and I think. You know, this is a long-winded statement, uh, and it, it's certainly not meant to offend any of our OFS clients. But, you know, if gas stays at 250 or wherever it is yeah. today, um, it would seem reasonable to see activity in gassy areas decline. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, the what you would hear from service companies, they'll say, well, I can just move my equipment to an oily basin. Yeah, you can, but there's a cost of doing that. Right. If the market is flat in the oily basin which it sounds like that's at least probably what we're going to be. Now you've introduced more capacity in a flat market. That's correct. So there's a risk factor there. And the question yeah. is, is it a big risk factor? Is it a small one? The answer is I have no freaking idea. Right. But that seems like a logical outcome. Where am I wrong? I, I, no, I think it, it goes potentially two ways. And, you know, we, we've kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, is one, yeah, do, do you move assets? Do you road assets out to more oily place? Right. Um, there's some risk associated with that. Obviously, you're going to have to be able to house all your all your personnel. Um, that could contain some risk to it, especially as more and more people begin to move in. Does housing become an issue? I mean, it's a lot of little things like that that you really have to base the decision on. And then, two, does it make sense to go, you know, maybe bet that natural gas is going to come back and have some type of pricing concession that you visit with your customers about? That, that should give some type of uh, uh, solidarity that, you're going to remain in basin and not right. go have to fight and start clawing for probably what's going to be poor pricing if you introduce additional capacity to the market. Yeah. It seems like a reasonable outcome. Yeah. Um, very fast growth coming. I'm jumping around here. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I, was, I was driving in this morning listening to CNBC, fairly strong, robust jobs report today. Yeah. Talk to us about how you're solving the labor equation at Grizzly. If you're going to grow 3 to 4x, that means you probably need more people. Are you finding them? A absolutely. Well, I mean, la labor is always a challenge, right? Yeah. Especially when you think about some of the more specialized guys that we've got. Um, you know, I mean, for example, we've got like uh, some ASM E certified welders. Okay. Like, not easy to come by. And as we begin to delve more and more into the um, electrified equipment side of things, we know that we need guys like medium voltage electricians. Right. Right. So finding those guys. Where do you find those guys? Military? Yeah. A lot of them will come from the military because you'll see a lot of guys that were involved in sub uh, guys that I kind of worked with in the military were avionics guys, aviation, okay. electronics. Mm -hmm. But still, at the end of the day, I mean, the military always does have a great electronics background or a right. bunch of guys that they, they put out to the market um, once they've served. Um, it, it really, a lot of them are going to come from you're just going to have to pay them top dollar. Right. I mean, so that becomes more of a challenge. That's something that you have to build in the cost, which obviously you want to have a return on from from your uh, business model mm -hmm. right so um uh, yeah those guys are challenging but even just you know the guys that work in the shop who really where the rubber meets the road and make all the magic happen mm -hmm. those guys aren't cheap either and you don't you don't want those cheap guys Is, at the end of the day how would you characterize turnover with the employees oh it's it's uh, it, it it varies but for us i mean i've gone back and looked at kind of the historical right. turnover at grizzly um it's been pretty marginal i mean it really hasn't been anything that uh, uh that's been concerning and i think a lot of it's to do that you know the partners and the, the previous management team at grizzly set up a 
a good environment for those guys. And, and, and comp- ultimately, it's about compensation, right? I mean, right. we compensated them pretty well, and those guys have really stuck around and kind of rose to the challenge. And as we bring in, the, I guess, uh, me in the, in the president's seat and, you know, trying to build a, a, a new culture or a different culture, um, everybody's been incredibly responsive to that. So right. we're, we're crossing our fingers that we don't have any type of major turnover, and thus far we have not. Okay. Well, good. What are some of the key questions that we should have asked you that we have not asked you? <laughs> so uh, uh, surprised you actually didn't ask me about this, but, uh, you know, when you talk about how we, because uh, we've had these conversations before, but like funding fleets, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, that's that's something that always kind of comes into play. Um, obviously, you know, institutional uh, money people have kind of shied away from right getting too deep into OFS and, and whatnot. I think there's more of a market for it for the power, our power company, uh, PPG, because you do have that industrial application that's a little bit less cyclical. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that we've, that I've really seen in the past at, at, a, at a multitude of places was the ability for operators to help kind of maybe fund some of this, right? Right. Whether it's, you know, and I've seen in some places where somebody's got some level of a fund mm-hmm. to help offset some of this that they can maybe push over to the completions team or the business units. Um, uh, that way they can at least get some sense of certainty that they're going to get an electric fleet. Because the appetite's there. I mean, when you look at, I think one of the comments that, that I hear a lot is, well, electric fleets, are they're at a premium. Well, they are, and that's true. Mm-hmm. But you have to consider... You know the depreciation cycle of an electric fleet versus a conventional fleet is a is a pretty different different set. Walk of numbers, us through right? some of those numbers. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and and I said this before. You know, I think probably I spend thirty percent of my time educating people internally and externally about how you monetize that extra cost. So when you look at, you know, when you look at the back end of an electric frac pump, let's just say it's a power end, it's a fluid end, still mm-hmm. subject to the same you know wear and tear that you're going to see on any fluid end mm-hmm. and power end. When you start talking about removing, uh, you know, the engine and, and all these other and the radiator and all these other parts off of there, well, that engine's got thousands of moving parts that are subject to failure. Mm-hmm. So when you replace that with a motor, effectively, um, and, in, and in some flavors of E-fleets and a VFD, I mean, you're really now you've implemented something that has a you know, a useful life of 60 to 80,000 hours before the first major overhaul. So in frack hours, that's, that could easily be the better part of, you know, 10 years, right? Okay. So you have to be able to depreciate it differently and you're going to have reduced R&M costs, reduced labor costs, because it requires about a third less people to actually operate an electric fleet. So when you factor that in, in addition to the, uh, the fuel savings, which now at 250 is, uh, so not nearly pretty, the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not nearly the same. Yeah. Well, that, as you think about the depreciation, the, the life cycle of a electric frack versus yeah. a, a traditional, you would think, again, that's one of those things I'm sure as a, as you're selling it, as, as you guys are going out there selling it, it's like, that's part of the education that you're that you're talking to. That's right. Either another operator or another, you know, frack company. Right, is right. how that works over time. But at the same time, though, tier four DGB and, and, and even tier two, I mean, that's uh, that's still a fantastic solution. Yeah. It's it's not for everyone. And then there's some people that, you know, that's uh, that's going to be the uh, the flavor du jour still for, you know, quite some time. Yeah. Right? It's building out gas infrastructure to support it. If you're going to use field gas, like some people don't want to go that some operators don't want to go down that route or they don't have the infrastructure to support it. 
So it's not again, it's not for everybody, but there's so much tier four DGB equipment out there right. um, yep. that is doing a fantastic job. That'll continue to do a fantastic job. I think adoption of electric assets is going to continue to increase, uh, but it's not going to be overnight. You know, yep. to, to, to say you know by 2025 we're not going to see 50% electric assets in the market. Okay. Yeah. But you'll probably see 50% tier four DGB in electric uh, by 25. Oh yeah, 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 oh, yeah definitely, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, I would yeah agree definitely. With that. Uh -huh. Yeah. All right, what a we're, we're almost bumping up against our 30, yeah. 35 minute mark, and that's when I get tired and ready for coffee. So, <laughs> um, you're gonna come to Thrive. Yes, there you go. Look forward to it. Thank you, and you'll bring the team. Bringing the team with me. Yep. Thank you. Absolutely. What would you like to see us do differently this year? Because you've been a veteran of the prior two years. Oh, it's been fantastic. It's uh, it seems like it's just gotten better every year. Um. Well, let me better sweet positioning for Grizzly. Fair <laughs> enough. You've been going to these things. It seems like as we look at LinkedIn, yeah, every other day there's a new event popping up. Uh, person in your position has a certain marketing budget, right? And you have to allocate it to where you think you see the best value. How do you? I mean, what matters to you? I think it's going to be the, the the content is is obviously a big driver, but and it's also it's it's also the attendees, right? And it's not you know while it's there's certain events where uh, you really want to have more decision makers mm -hmm. that you can interact with, not and not to be you know somebody that's just kind of chasing chasing people by the coattails, but it's also it's a fantastic uh, um, opportunity to kind of learn what executives are looking for mm -hmm. and their partners. Because maybe they've got something else that's kind of brewing in the pipeline that you can align with them on, right? So, and it, and at that and it's always interesting to hear like when you when you think about these panels, like getting their perspective from the you know the the, the Toby Rice's of the world, mm -hmm. uh, um, or, or whomever might be there, just really Chris Wright, whomever might be these these really great advocates for our industry, um, hearing their take and being able to kind of learn from that and help you plan your business better. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because these guys are in those positions for a reason. Right. So, I mean, you, you want to take their opinions and their statements uh, very seriously. Well, hopefully they say some interesting things, too, which is what we always want. Like, again, on topic and, and that can help not just themselves, but everybody else. In the right, industry. right, right. So, yeah, no, Grizzly's uh, uh, very proud to be a, a Thrive uh, sponsor. And, uh, um, you know, looking forward to continue being sponsors for you guys. You guys do a great job. Nice. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, anything else? Like, just trying to think on on a high level. I know, John, we're 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 getting to the end. But like for you, for Grizzly this year, what what yes, any high level goals, things you want to like leave us with as as the twenty twenty three really kind of gets moving. Yeah, I, I would say I would I would definitely watch the service and refurb market. Yeah, um, that's been a hot one. So, yeah, you know, as I tell you, three to four X, we hope that that's a very conservative number of growth for us in that in that part of the uh, in that part of the, the organization. Um, uh, but I don't think frack intensity is going to slow down at all. So that's just going to continue to kind of drive the service and reverb uh, um, total available market in the U.S. OK, so we hope to capitalize that on that and, and grow it as much as we can. And to your point, you know, look for opportunities that make sense to put under the uh, the Python or Grizzly Fold and uh, uh, just continue driving. Well, it sounds like the runway is good, yep. notwithstanding what I think will be a speed bump with respect to near-term activity, some choppiness. Yeah, yep. 
uh, hardly a crisis because I think I mean that was one of the takeaways from the Baker event was to the um, the amount of global operators that were there and the the positive outlook for natural gas as the substitution fuel right the transition fuel if you will right uh, the growth and the need for more LNG mm. right just the backdrop is so incredibly positive over the medium to longer term um, so that's why I remain excited but uh, I do think that we have a speed bump about to hit us upside the head here yep. in the next few months yeah. anyway just my opinion uh, I've read some things that might indicate the same thing so it'll be interesting to see how, how it plays out yeah fair enough well thank you very much for coming on and thank you for coming to look at the trophy today was, oh of course and, no thanks uh, for inviting me this is great yeah it's not a, it's not every day you get uh you know, World Series trophy. Now we just got to get the Stanley Cup here. So, oh get, man, you got to get both of those. That may be a little bit more <laughs> of a challenge. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. To, I yeah. don't think Houston's yeah. winning a Stanley Cup anytime soon. No, we got to so. work on that. <laughs> but anyway, all right, guys, thank you very much. All right, thank thanks. you. Thanks, guys.